will be more people working in tech because software is eating the world. The 1999 Andreessen prediction, we have trucking SaaS and logistics SaaS and healthcare SaaS. None of that was a SaaS. And with all the SaaS, we need humans to analyze it and do the rev ops. So I actually think SDR will nest up into revenue operations. We'll have data operations, marketing operations, and sales operations. And we'll just have a sophisticated analyst org, sort of like minority report, that's all dialing in the algorithms and helping train the machines. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Tony Hughes and Justin Michael, and they are the co-authors of an interesting new book titled Tech-Powered Sales, Achieve Superhuman Sales Skills. Now, in their book, Tony and Justin make some bold predictions about what the future of sales will look like. In our conversation today, we get into that. With Tony and Justin, we dig into some of these predictions, including why a third of field sales jobs will go the way of the dinosaur. We get into why more than 80% of all sales development teams fail. We also dig into what the skills and abilities are that the AEs of the future will need to have. Including among that will be are what Tony and Justin say is a new addition to the family of intelligences, you know, like IQ and EQ for emotional intelligence. And they call it TQ, or technology intelligence. And we're going to talk about what that means in terms of what the responsibilities of the future seller will be and why they're likely to be different from what they are now. Okay, all this and much, much more. But before we get to Tony and Justin, I just want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also leave us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Justin and Tony, welcome back to the show. You've both been on the show individually, so here together. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. And let's see. Tony, you're in Sydney. Justin, where are you? I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Santa Barbara. Nice place. You know, I was thinking of going up there my wife and I haven't gone away for a weekend or anything for, I don't know, 13 months, 14 months, whatever. So, yeah, I was looking at hotels in Santa Barbara, just drive up the coast. Yeah, there's a place called the Bacara, and they have a full-time falconer. Yeah. And the well, scare off the <laughs> yeah. seagulls. I don't think we were going to go there, but we looked at this place we've been before that I like up on the hill called El Encanto. Yeah. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. It's like $1,300 a night now. <laughs> Extremely nice. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> they know, and they're completely booked. So they know everybody's dying to get out of the house. Everybody wants to travel, yeah. and law of supply and demand is uh, it works. <laughs> it works. So it's a COVID upcharge. It definitely was. So we decided we'll come back in six months and, and try it then. So, all right. So we're going to talk about your new book uh, titled "Tech Powered Sales: Achieve Superhuman Sales Skills." And I thought we'd start off by sort of talking, because you deal a lot with, obviously, the future of selling. And it always calls mind when we talk about the future. Is, actually, I used this quote when Justin was on the last time uh, from Niels Bohr, who was a Nobel Prize winning physicist, who said that you know, prediction is very difficult, especially if it's about the future. So uh, with that caveat, so people understand, but... Yeah, I like one of the things I like about the book. You guys take a stand. You've got firm opinions about this. I like bold predictions. So um, maybe before we get to that, is just talk about how you two came together to write this book. Because Tony, you're in Australia. Justin, you're in California. How'd this happen? Yeah, Andy, look, the reality is, is uh, the last book I published was called Combo mm-hmm. Prospecting. And in Combo Prospecting, I chronicled as a case study a seller who was delivering amazing results 
in using technology uh, to drive outbound and adopting the practice of, of, of omni-channel concurrent outreach. Right. In other words, you know, the thing that we know, if you just use one channel on its own, it gets ignored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you need to pattern interrupt the way that people ignore, but you've got to have the right message. Otherwise, you're just an, right. an annoying spammer. And the reality was Justin did not want me to say who he was at the time um, for his own reasons. Um, but what I, what I, but he was the case study in the book, um, and and we've maintained a friendship uh, in in all of that time. So I was kind of coaching Justin on strategic enterprise selling. He ended up reverse mentoring me <laughs> in how to really use social media to go build a brand. Right. So I bizarrely became, I think, the third most uh, uh, followed person in on the LinkedIn platform mm-hmm. in the world of selling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that was all because of the strategies that I learned from Justin. So we created a friendship and the, the book tech powered sales is not a book that I could have written on my own. It's not a book that he could have written on his own and it brings together old school and new school in a way that's never been done before. Uh, and combo was big on, on, uh, on being a clarion call to action mm-hmm. What tech-powered sales does is it has lots of utility. It explains exactly how to go and build these cadences yep. and sequences and work with the tech. It does, yeah. As I said before, I mean, it's densely packed full of information. You guys talk to, I think, everybody in the world in sales uh, and have them quoted, except for me, I think, in the book. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's literally you have to – I mean, I read through it and then I – said, okay, I'm going to have to come back. I'm going to have to go through it again because there's just so much there. So, But let's talk about, again, the future of sales because you're reading the book and it just, I don't know, it stimulates thoughts. It's like, okay, are we thinking about things the right way? Because you know, the question always comes to my mind is, has the adoption of tech into sales the way that it has been done? Has it made it better or worse? And yeah, you guys lead off with a bunch of facts in the book. Yeah, majority, I'll just quote some of this. Majority of salespeople fail. No doubt, no question about that. All research supports the fact that B2B sales failure rates are high and trending worse. Uh, average inside sales rep has a tenure of 1.4 years. That's been declining over the last five years. Uh, 83% of inside sales reps fail to hit the target. 40%. <laughs> last less than six months in the role. Win rates are down. No decision rates are up. All so we got all these indicators that seemingly are getting worse during what is really sort of this golden age of sales, supposedly because of all the sales tech that's coming to the space. So I always like to sort of tweak, you know, SaaS founders and so on. And say, well, huh? Yeah, all these tools are making us worse instead of better. Is that the case? What's happening? Um, yeah, I can jump in on this one. I mean, I, I always like to say um, to find the fu- to find the future, look at the past. And uh, so we do explore in the book the fourth industrial revolution, uh-huh. and we compare it to the first. And we take that classic view of you know you're looking at the horse and, and buggy and thinking we just need faster horses, you know. Uh-huh. And so it's sort of the parable now. Um, marketing and advertising. I mean, it it reached ludicrous speed where we have ads everywhere we look and the conversion rates are 0.01%. And we're thinking, oh, that's actually pretty good conversion rate. So we just live in this Blade Runner world now on Facebook where there's ads everywhere and we don't even see them. Mm -hmm. So I think sales figure out how to 
become a little bit more like marketing and advertising, and it's gone highly macro, and it's reached ludicrous speed. What we talk about in the book, though, is what if there are a way to be humane with it and do hyper-personalization or small batch usage of tech? And it's not to say it's easy if you just use the tools. I always just say, you know, if I go get Tiger Woods outfit and his exact golf clubs and I jump on the golf course, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just going to slice faster into the trees. That's, so this stuff is just amplifying uh, somewhat of garbage thinking because there's a lot of generations now that haven't been trained in strategic selling. So they know how to use tooling and go really fast, but they're not really sure how to create the value narrative. So mm-hmm. there's a training gap that it's it's created. And Tony's uniquely suited. You, you as well, Andy. Um, I, I, I mean... I'm not an ageist. I think the old guard is where we need to study. We need to figure out, you know, Miller Hyman and figure out how to automate that. Okay. Well, I'm glad you didn't say we're supposed to kill all the old people. That's great. Uh, no, but def- <laughs> definitely the lawyers. Uh, <laughs> right. So, but I, I, before we sort of move on, <clears throat> excuse me, is, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like we need a reset, right? But, yeah, the pressures are such that there's really no time for a reset because, yeah, you look at all these stats that you have in the book, which, yeah, you know, we're sort of don't have a lot of great statistics in sales, but I mean, the, the ones that we have don't point in the right direction. Um, it seems like it speaks to sort of the larger issue around sales is, you know, what is success? What is failure, right? Is, is you know, you talk also in the book, you write about, you know, the sort of trend of decreasing deal size and larger quotas and so on. It's like, yeah, we're saying these people are failures. 83% don't hit their numbers, but maybe some part of the problem is the numbers are just so screwed up that if we just do a reset and say, oh, hey, let's, let's lower quotas 20%, maybe we'd have a lot more people performing at higher levels. Yeah, Andy, there's something really interesting, though. Um, my, my history is really in the software industry, and I've seen in the last 15, 20 years this transition of, of on-premise software mm-hmm. selling to now software as a service. Um, and, and, and the SaaS model, the subscription model, is great because it's a shared risk model. Right. The, the customer does not have to make the giant enterprise license commitment. They can start with a department or a process. After that's proved out to be successful, they can then punch the button and scale and increase their commitment. But in the world of software selling, and I've worked for some of the biggest in the world, was, you know, the era of the seller doing this, you know, $40 million deal, you know, and getting a commission check worth, you know, up to a million dollars, it's all gone. Mm. And the problem is the cost of sale for the vendor is still the same. You know, they've still got their expensive seller, they've got their pre-sales team, you know, they've got these endless tender processes they have to go through in two-day demos to the horde of people on the customer side. And at the end of it is a much smaller order. So it's almost becoming unprofitable, and the vendors are thinking about the lifetime value of a customer, but they, they have to figure out how do we drive down the cost of sale is really the reality. And the world is, is changing. Most sellers treat their tech stack like a gym membership. You know, someone's paying the fee every month, mm-hmm. but they hardly ever mm-hmm. go. And you sit down and watch them try and build a basic Boolean search in Google. You know, they're hopeless. You say, show me how you're using Sales Navigator. Epic fail. Show me how you're building your own dashboards in CRM. Have no idea. Show me how you can use a basic email automation platform like Sales Loft, Zans, or Outreach. Or Ring you know, DNA. Automate. Or, yeah, or Ring, yeah. Ring DNA is awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. I just have to make sure I insert that there. So, yes, go ahead. <laughs> 
there's there's like all of this tech everywhere, right? And 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 they just they just don't use it well. And and you think that you're a professional. Um, if you want to be a pilot today, you have to know how to work well with the tech, mm-hmm. you know, as well as how to fly an airplane. It's just the reality. And and most sellers, there's just a huge gap. Um, Justin and I talk about the, the need for technical quotient fatigue. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Right? Yes. So, yeah, and I'm 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 and I'm sh- I'm sure you see it with Ring DNA, right? You you go into a customer and you say, show me how your people are using this, right? And the the actual execution, they're not using the tool to its potential. Well, yeah, I mean the general rule I think with most of the tech we've seen so far is let's automate previous bad behaviors or bad processes or bad processes. Well, throw them, lump them together, right? So again, I think how do we how do we make people feel that they, again, have sort of the time to reset because, you know, the cultures are sort of ingrained in the way these products and techs are being used that, and if you're a startup and you've got, you know, investors pressuring you to make sure, you know, you don't have time to pause for a month or two months to sort of reset and, you know, relook at your processes, I just think, like, when does this end? Yeah, yeah, so what's really... uh fantastical in a way so after after doing like all the different research and thanks to tony you know um we we didn't just research like a hundred hours this book took hundreds of hours and oh yeah you know we'd go in and we'd go down a rabbit hole and like just read three other books and then come in and put a paragraph based on three books so it was like deep saturation into the ideation my whole philosophy in writing is are we getting ideation and do that it's mashups the jazz fusion of the old school and the new school. How can we take something we've seen and make a modern classic? Well, what we saw projecting out to the future is 70% of the stuff that we do as a seller can be automated. It's someone is going to figure out how to automate it. And then is it good for a human to be doing a task that is a low skill task? Well, whether that's a minimum wage task or it's an offshore task. I mean, what if we freed up a seller to not do you know, the crunching and the admin and all this this heavy context switching stuff, well, then they're just selling. So if the point of the automation is to free them up so now they're having a strategic value-focused solution sale, what's really crazy is the full application of the technology puts them right back in a time capsule to 20 years ago where they're just sitting in front of a prospect and then it's, can you hold the conversation? Uh-huh. Do you understand business models and monetization funnels and the pressures of the board and Wall Street and are we really having a business solutioning session and that becomes the skill again and then doing that is so hard ai can't touch that for 20 or 50 years maybe not in our lifetime so that's the protection to the human it's just moving where the human is in the supply chain would be the goal um and there's there's many implications yeah i mean jeffrey colvin talked about that in his book humans underrated you guys referred to that in your book um is yeah if you want to thrive and survive in this new economy, then you need to learn to become what he called more intensely human, right? Do those things <laughs> that you just said that the machines can't do. Yeah, yeah, um, Andy, it's so true because anyone today who focuses on doing things that machines can do is really doomed to be replaced by the very thing they fear. Mm-hmm. We've got to focus on those truly human elements. So, you know, th- things like sense of humor building real uh, sense of connection with people, being creative, navigating politics, building a business case, securing consensus. Mm-hmm. All, all of these kinds of things are things that the tech won't do. 
But if someone just wants, from the buyer side, just wants to go and find the thing they're looking for that they perceive to be a commodity, um, then we're deeply in trouble. People in those in those sales roles are, are absolutely gone. Justin and I believe that that one third of, of B two B field sellers are on their way out. You know, in mm-hmm. the next five to seven years, uh, and there's also a big shift of capital from from field sellers to inside sales functions with the tech stack. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's and that's where the capital's going. Yeah, well, I think that trend preceded COVID for sure. I think COVID may yeah. have accelerated that trend. Yes. Yeah, a question is, as you know, think about that part in the book and so on, is how are we defining field sales? Uh, well, I mean, I think, well, so now that has changed, right? But I think we're talking about someone who has the ability to visit the customer or has those T&E expenses of trains, planes, and automobiles. Now, post-COVID, there's still um, a different, you know, model there. You know, I study things like The Machine by Justin Roth Marsh. I don't know if mm-hmm. he's come onto the show Twice, no, three yeah. times. Sorry. So I love I love business process engineering, Six mm-hmm. Sigma design. Uh, Tony talks about in his work design based thinking. You know, mm-hmm. um, some of the work of Buckminster Fuller, the work of uh, Deming, and I'm just going to drop all these names. But you don't hear this a lot <laughs> talking to salespeople, right? Drucker. I go back and and you know I study people like David Ogilvy. I, I study people from different eras. I was really scared, I'll be honest, that someone would copy this book. And copy this theme, but then COVID hit, and everyone released the, released the virtual selling book. But then, you know, here we are with Nancy Nardin and uh, Dave Delaney, and what happened? Well, last year, one billion was poured into just sales tech stacks. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, you know, Lucid uh, Utah picked up five hundred mm-hmm. million, a three billion mm-hmm. valuation. You saw a Gong, you saw. I mean, it's an explosion. Aragon Research said about five billion. I think it'll be more by twenty twenty three, and the SDR role is going to grow to a million. We have seven million uh, tech sellers, so we have you know, 8 million people selling software. And strangely, they have so many tech stacks and they don't use it. So even to my earlier comments, so why are we teaching people how to use their tech better if the goal is to become human? Because if not, you just drown in the manual tasks. And some crazy percentage, I think Ken Krog announced this from Inside Sales and Forbes, this was four or five years ago, it was like 36% of a seller's time is actually selling. So I love stuff like, you know, Ring DNA, where you have integrated, consolidated tech stack systems wow. that free up the rep to do more selling. That's the mission. Plug yeah. this thing in, learn it, master it, use yeah. it. Takes you three hours to learn it. Now it's taking 10 minutes to learn it. Now you got it set it, forget it every day. You, 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 that thing's like, you know, using Gmail. We were yeah. all struggling on the Google suite and Excel yeah. in the beginning, and then it became easy. So our clearing call is like, hey, get in there. Just, you know, learn it. Not that so, hard. Yeah, so here's a question for you, because this is, and because you, you brought up the, you know, sort of 70-30 split or 36%, you know, the amount of time that reps actually, sellers actually spend selling. You know, it's been that way for decades, that percentage. Mm-hmm. Hasn't really changed at all. So if we eliminate some of the manual tasks, which certainly should, and you know, AI-based systems will do that, What's going to fill that time? Do we think it's really actually going to be selling or is there something else that's going to fill the time? Well, Andy, if, if average deal sizes are going down, it means that the number of deals that people need to do to fund their own role actually goes up. Let me, let me tell mm-hmm. you a true story about a U.S. company. Uh, this is an amazing story. So I was, I was speaking to 18 CEOs in, in Sydney about three weeks ago. 
Uh, one of them was the CEO for a global company head office in North America. Mm-hmm. He came up and talked to me at lunchtime about these concepts. In his company in the States, during COVID, they lost a couple of their field reps. They had no rep uh, in these two big territories for four months. Mm-hmm. They noticed in CRM that those territories were growing and they weren't just growing despite having no field rep. Uh, they were they had the highest margins in the company. Now, this company is, is a pharmacy uh, product supplier. They're not a pharmaceutical company, right. but they pr- provide a lot of the compounding uh, uh, things and drugs for for drug stores and, and pharmacy chemists to actually make uh, pastes and, and medicines. Mm-hmm. They went and called on these customers and to find out what in the hell was going on because they were convinced the way we grow market share is we keep visiting the drug stores, you know, mm. every two weeks to maintain mindshare. Yeah, you tell that, right. mind share. Here, here's what they got told. Uh, your, your reps that come and visit, what they typically do is they interrupt our day and they mm-hmm. take us away from actually serving customers. Mm-hmm. Worse than that, they don't really actually provide, you know, any anything useful. You know, right. they give us your latest data sheet and specs and invite us to the golf day or something. You know, we, we, we can get that in the emails that you mm-hmm. send us. And the company said, but surely, like we invest a lot of money in our field people. Surely the relationship's important to you. Surely they provide some level of value. And they said, well, hmm, actually, Golf. yes, yes. They help us get a discount. <laughs> so what they discovered is the only value of the field person in the eyes of the customer was they helped them get a discount. So mm-hmm. they said, let's run an experiment but let's not screw up our core North American market. Mm-hmm. Let's fire the three field reps we have in Australia, because if we wreck Australia, it's not going to destroy global revenue. Right. Let's just let's move them on and let's see what happens. Their Australian business has been running running this way, and it's never been more profitable and stronger. Mm-hmm. They upskilled their inside technical people. So when they get a phone call about a technical problem mm-hmm. with a product, uh, they've trained them on stronger empathy uh, and to be more commercial. So they've driven down costs. They've got no one in the field, and the field selling rep is now is now really that role is filled by the manager. If someone needs to go visit someone in the field, the managers do it. Right. But the the customer didn't see value in a relationship for relationship's sake. So sellers have to create genuine consultative insights mm-hmm. in how they go and engage, and use tech to give them time back and automate as much as possible to extend their reach and effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're describing a situation that's that's existed, let's say, for some time, and that the the good sellers were creating that that relationship, that value based relationship, as you talked about. But you know, the vast majority weren't. So why keep them? And yeah, you know, Neil Rackham wrote about this, you know, twenty plus years ago in his book, exactly. Rethinking the, Rethinking the Modern Sales Force. He said, "Look, if if the channel doesn't provide value, then the customer will buy from the channel that adds the less least cost to the transaction." And that's what we're seeing. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And and every business has got to think, you know, what really is our strategy? Are we going to succeed by by knowing our customers best? Are we going to succeed by having the best business model that drives the cost, you know, out of get, getting a thing to market? Or are we going to be the best because we just have absolutely the best product? You know, there's like there's those three fundamental different models and we've, we've got to think about, because in my view, the future of selling is, is when um, uh, seller relevance uh, hits buying intent. And if you can use tech mm-hmm. to get that intersection to happen, and you support 
buyer's journey and map your selling process in. And then the human gets involved at exactly the right time, mm -hmm. at exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, so this thing, this thing of really using tech to detect trigger events, um, you know, to, to create warmed up conversations for yep. people yep. so that your people aren't leaping out of the trenches, charging at machine guns, you know, just all dying and failing. And we go, oh, but that's no noble. They're working hard. You know, we have to work hard and smart, but every interaction has to provide value for the customer. Uh, you know, other otherwise there's no point. Yeah. Well, you're speaking to the course on that. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't no argument with that at all. I mean, I think that this is, you know, talking about the machine guns, though. I mean, look at, I wanted to ask you about a point you guys made in the book is that, if I had this correctly, was, don't know if I had it right, but basically you're sort of making the case that top of funnel selling is harder than selling. Yes. And so tell us about that, and then I'll propose a counter, counter argument to that. It's so fun uh, working with you on this uh podcast Andy because I followed you for years I know Tony has too and I, I just love just getting together with Tony because you know I mean we talk we talk too much I mean friends should not talk this much never write a book I always joke you know like we you sit there and listen to your own voice for 40 hours doing an audible thousands of takes to get and then they edit it and they send it back to you here's 60 problems in it I'm like yeah. really I have to do this again um here's the thing I mean it's a hard thing about hard things it's almost like two positions on a soccer team you know, I used to play sweeper, and all I had to do is keep it out of the backfield and kick it as hard and fast as I could. I didn't have to have that much stamina. I just would clear the field. Now, as a kid, yeah. I think in, you know, the pro yeah. World they don't Cup, you got to. not much anymore, but yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but if you're up in the front, oh my, you're going to be running miles. And you, so the position is just so different now. Like when you're sitting in the top funnel as a specialist, there's a difficulty about it. There's a brutality to the level of rejection and the speed uh, of the rejection. Absolutely. So in some ways, it's emotionally harder to get to being hit that hard. Um, there's challenges around strategic selling down funnel that are also very hard. But I think what Tony and I both did, which is revolutionary, and it's probably, I bet others have done it, but we've made this case. You want to study opening, go study closing. And Ian Arino is my favorite because he says, uh -huh. you know, Time is the first commitment, right? right? So if you can't, these reps, they say, well, I'm more of a closer. I'm not really good on the prospecting. It's like, well, you know, how are you going to get married if you can't get her phone number? You know, I mean, what are we going to do? <laughs> That's what I got. What do you think, Tony? So, so Andy, to me, um, opening is without doubt the most difficult and the most important phase of selling. It, it, it's difficult for a ton of reasons because the last thing buyers want is another seller in their life. You know, they don't lie awake at mm. night hoping a rep will call them the next day. They're not after more Absolutely, tech, right? right? They, they want more value from fewer supplier relationships in their existing world. They don't mm. want new people. But, you know, so it's really difficult, but it's the most important phase because the way we open really determines everything else. If we don't open in a way where we're making it all about their business case for change, we need to co-create a vision for a brighter future and then we need to help them co-create the business case that funds that. Mm -hmm. Our whole mindset needs to be, hey, I'm not after some of your budget that you've got. What I do pays for itself. Let's build the business case together. And as part of that, let's gather consensus with your team. Because the three reasons the deal stall and die is a lack of strong commercial value in the eyes of the buyer. The next reason is a lack of consensus with all of the people involved internally. And the third reason is just that something awful pops up. They, they get acquired, our key person leaves, all of these things that happen, right? So that's why we need a sense of urgency. 
But if we don't anchor the commercial value and get to the power base and the, and the consensus group of people in the company right from the get-go, and that's what I say to sellers, you know, when you're blending qualification and discovery, forget all of your MedPIC and BANT and all of the other acronyms. The thing is, the degree to which they'll share with you insider information and access to others, mm-hmm. that's the degree which you're likely to win. Right. And the truth is, the way you open determines whether any of that's going to happen, right? So so that's that's why you have to find a way to break through. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, if you don't find a way to drive volume, you won't find the quality within it. You know, it's like people who say, you know, hey, I'm really busy. You know, I just focus on quality time with my kids. Well, you're not going to get the quality time unless you have the quantity time. So what we find is is most sellers do enough not to feel guilty when it comes to building top of funnel pipeline. They don't actually do what it takes, right? So what, what they need to do is they need to figure out how do I leverage tech? How do I develop my TQ to mm-hmm. become more effective? Because unless I do that, I'm just going to be the busy fool. Okay. So... Let me ask Ready you a for the challenge. Let's challenge, Andy. <laughs> well, let me just, well, let me ask the question. <laughs> so, you know, across SaaS, win rates out of most qualified opportunities average about 20%, right? So about one out of every five, uh, the most qualified opportunities actually results in a sale. So you could look at that and say, well, the hard part's not getting prospects. The hard part is closing the opportunities that we have. Now, we're not just talking about Raw numbers, we're talking about qualified opportunities. So we can go back and say, okay, well, we got, admittedly, we've got problems in discovery and qualification and so on. But that would, in my way of looking at it, make an argument for, well, selling is the hard part. Now, whether, put hard in quotations, it's hard because we're not executing it well. Not that's, in, you know, necessarily hard. It's just we're doing a really bad job in general. But we have enough opportunities. We have enough opportunities that we could actually, if we were doing a better job of the selling, we could actually close a higher fraction of them. Can I jump in on that before I throw it to Justin? Sure. I've 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 got clients that have got forty percent win rates, and the reason their win rates some at sixty percent. The reason mm-hmm. their win rates are higher is they're much better qualified opportunities right out of the gate. So the thing is, when I talk about buyer buyer intent meeting seller mm-hmm. relevance, mm-hmm. if we get involved in a deal late, the customer's already looking. Now it's a red ocean feeding frenzy of comparison of vendors, right? And and the win Can rates be, are yes. lower. They're lower for that reason alone. But if you manage to self-generate an opportunity earlier, right? So, it, it, you know, Steve Richard right. talks about this. At any given point in time, 3% of the market's actively looking for what we do. of the market is also open. So if we get good at creating opportunities in that 40%, where we're the ones that become the emotional favorite because Mm -hmm. we build the business case with them, we gather consensus, we help them identify their risks, right? We get this thing over the line. We're the one they want to buy from. Your win rates go up dramatically. And and that's what we talk about with opening. How do you go find that 40% rather than be in the red ocean part of the 3%? Mm-hmm. Because that's where you dramatically up win rates and get a, a much better return on sales investment. Okay. Justin? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like a case-by-case basis. I mean, I know since Tony and I focus on the top funnel problem, we probably attract a certain type of clientele where this is part of the attraction to crack the top funnel. 
Um, I think there's certain famous companies right now that have very strong uh, either PLG, product-led growth, and PQLs, mm -hmm. product-qualified leads, where they have certain freemium models, and they just, you know, Monday.com is an awesome one out of Tel Aviv. It's a sort of right. workflow management, and they have thousands of companies. I mean, the IPO is incredible looking at their numbers. Uh, Lemkin put it out there. They're probably a business that has a different inbound strategy. Um, I've seen overall that the top of funnel is getting harder and harder because of the tech tools we highlight in the book. So, you know, you look at the Dave Delaney V7 map of tech tools, it's 500. Mm -hmm. You look at MarTech, it's 7,000 in the Lumascape. Problem is the more and more automation, now the fish, it's like in Crocodile Dundee, they're dropping the dynamite in there all day. The, we're scaring the sea levels away. They're getting 250 emails a day. They shut off the phone switchboard at Target. Then they shut off their email address, go get a different one. They've got three executive assistant. Now the executive assistant's in the LinkedIn. They're behind, you know, steel bars and razor wire, as uh, <laughs> as Tony says. But that being the case, I have met some people over the last 20 years who were true artisans at closing mm -hmm. deals, where you could give them the worst-looking deal and they would come back with a seven-figure. I mean, I've met a few Houdini-type characters. Uh, you know, it, it's out there. And the issue is with someone who has a medium level of skill, um, unless we increase the quality of the signal and the inputs, I mean, how much training can we do, right? We need training across mm -hmm. the board. So uh, I do have a lot of respect for the closers listening to this and the art form that is. Let's not yeah. call them closers. Let's call them sellers, right? Sellers, yeah. So here's close, another really close, good point. Closing, closing's an outcome. It's not an yeah. action. Here's, here's my best point, Andy, is when I started on the phone, there wasn't an SDR. It was just like, hey, we're going to teach you how to sell the whole platform do the demo and even fulfill it. And you know what? The first deal you close, you set it up with the customer because I want yeah. you to go through how it works. Yep. And we're losing the art form of, we're limiting the human to one subspecialization. And I think that's okay, you know, if we teach them the whole art of sales right. and then they choose to do that. Well, but I was going to ask you that question because, you know, in the book, you sort of, you know, pay fealty to Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Tyler for predictable revenue. And you know, sort of implicit in that is you know, the specialization of sales roles. But you're also making a strong case in the book for full cycle sales reps. Well, well, Andy, the, Andy, the reality is is that what 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 I see in the marketplace is that the best it gets for an AE, an account exec, so mm -hmm. you know, typically field seller, the best it gets for them in the the leads they get that create quota for them is maybe 20 to 40% of their number will come from leads given to them by marketing and by that inside sales function, right? So, you know, th there may be some great inside sellers using Salesforce and Ring DNA and it's playbooking the way they're doing outbound and they get these qualified stage two opportunities they pass off. So 20 to 40%. For most sellers, they've got to go and find typically up to 80% of their annual quota. They've got to self-generate. By, by getting their own referrals, by doing their own outbound, by thinking about their own auto-customer profile. Well, they should be. And the other thing is the, the inside sellers are usually not capable of carrying the conversation in at really senior C-suite le levels. You can't get sure. a, a pimply-faced kid to, to, to jump on the phone or craft emails well, even right, if you have a good complexion and you're young, it's still yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask of you. It's because yeah, when you're when you're brand new, that was yeah. me. I, I was the, I was that kid. Oh, um, I can show yeah. you pictures of me when I was 21 years old. Sorry, my sales career. I looked I looked 15 of that. So yes. 
but Andy, that's like that's the whole idea of something like like ring DNA, right? It's 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 really playbooking that the less experienced person can follow the process. You know, you using the technology well, uh, automate all of the steps that make sense, and then be able to have those good conversations when they're having the conversation. But at the end of the day, the field sellers they have to be their own SDR, right? If they want if they want to really generate in that forty percent hitting zone. Yeah, well, I'd say it's not just field sellers. I'd say it's AEs, whether they're inside-based AEs or field yes, sellers. Yes, field is, AEs, yeah. Is, yeah, I mean, I remember running into a guy that I'd, I was advising this one company, and he was the VP sales, and, you know, he didn't work out. He ended up going to another company, and, yeah, sort of a senior AE. And I just ran into him at a conference, and... He says, you won't believe it, because I asked him about where is the new company. He said, what? He says, they want me to prospect. (laughs) (laughs) And and I said to him, huh, interesting. (laughs) I said, so, well, let me ask you a question. You know, what is, you know, go through the win rate conversation. What's your win rate? About 20%. I said, okay, if I were looking at your resume, what I would say is, won't prospect, can't close. That's hard to talk, What sort of position does that put you in? Well... I've always been willing to prospect. I was actually just on the uh, on the WhatsApp here with Luigi Luigi Prestonenzi, Louis, yep. who's Tony's uh, partner in Sales IQ. Well, he's he's been agreed. on the show. Yes. Yeah, and he was just put to the test. He's just, you know, he and I do crazy things. Like we just get on phones sometimes and do stuff. You didn't do it because I think sales is a sport. And I wanted to say about the ageism thing. You know, I learned a lot from Gen Z and just in general. We're, there's we're not there's, holding it. We're not holding it back. Holding it against you. You know. No, definitely. I so okay. in the rep. Uh, in the book, I I profile a rep. This guy's name is Matthew Claus, and I've never seen someone do a better job inside a sequencer writing cadences. I mean, he used visual techniques, BI systems, custom screenshots, his websites, every single email hyper personalized with curly brackets. Now the irony is it it can take a lot of time to do this. At that stage, mm-hmm. it's not lazy. He put his heart into it, and let me tell you, he got an amazing outcome with these emails. And he used my systems and and Josh Braun and Beck Holland and he just is an incredible rep. Uh, his name is Matthew Kloss, K-L-O-S-S. And I just highlight him because he's an example of someone who is a fully automated cyborg rep, but he has a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. And he's given it given it a good name. And so just like anything, if you put care into the craft, then it's there's an art form and there's a humanity to the approach. So we need to teach the humans to be more like machines and the machines to be more like humans. Which is my whole Salesborg thing. Uh, Tony came up with the name yes. Salesborgs, by the way. It sounds like an Aussie, like a Baz Luhrmann. Salesborgs. No, actually, I thought it was you, but it's nice to know it's Tony. <laughs> it's it's got that flavor of like a Baz Luhrmann, yeah, it who's does. serious, you know. If you think, because I once somebody was lampooning me, and it was just kind of a revenge of the nerds, and I was like, felt like I got stuffed in a locker. I'm like, that has to be the name. Uh, but we have this ragtag van, and what we're trying to do is is that. It's sort of like a. I don't know, I think of like Steve Wozniak and uh, Steve Jobs when they had like the computer club, the home computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're home in this brewery. weird era where it's all kind of like a typewriter. Like as, as cool as it is, it's not writing our emails for us. We don't have the flying car. Like you still need a lot of human intervention to make it great. Yeah. That was a good, <laughs> that was a good uh, example about the flying car because I was thinking about that earlier today as I was you know, working on preparing for this this conversation. I was like, yeah, you know, we think about the future. It's like, okay, when I was a kid, flying cars were going to be ubiquitous by the year 2000, right? 
I mean, it's just, <laughs> but I, they're not. Yeah, yeah. Like go through a list of of predictions like that. It's like, and I think it's it's. I don't know. Do you guys? I can't remember in the book. Do you quote Amara's law? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's yeah. What we're experiencing here, with certainly with sales technology, is yeah, we underestimate the importance in the near term, but or we overestimate the importance in the near term, underestimate the importance in the long term. Uh, well, well, hey, hey, Andy, uh, like just just for people listening to this, if, if you really think about it, it was it was quarter of a century ago. It was back in 1997 that IBM Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov in chess, right? And that was just brutal what if computing, right? Right. But, but, you know, and so we're all amazed at the time. We look back now and go, "Well, that's that's not really AI." Um, it was it was ten years ago that IBM Watson beat the Jeopardy champions, and that mm-hmm. that was pretty amazing because that's natural language, abstract mm-hmm. contextualization, right. Right, as well as well as knowledge recall. It's really tough and abstract. But there was the, the, back then there was no human that, that that could beat, and there wasn't really AI, but it was on the way. But it was four years ago that uh, Google's DeepMind with AlphaGo beat mm. Lee Sedal. He was the 18-time world champion. And a lot of people don't know this, but the game of Go is is two and a half thousand years old. Yep. There's more Japanese potential game, moves right. or options in Go than there are atoms in the universe. And and in that in that competition, there was a thing called Move 37, where AlphaGo did a move that was only a one in ten thousand probability a human would do. It taught itself to play. No one can beat it. Only a couple of years ago now, about uh, three years ago, Google uh, showed Google Duplex to the world, where AI is making phone calls and passing the Turing test and nobody knew. So so the reality is that the the rate that the tech is expanding is mind-boggling. Computers today can phone people up and have conversations, and people have no idea it's a computer. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not happening because society would rebel against that, right? But the whole idea of an AI virtual assistant for sales is very real. Sure. All of the elements are there to, you know, to phone people and confirm appointments, to schedule the meetings, to listen for trigger events in the marketplace, to send the initial email out, all automated by AI. And then the human seller will get involved for the high value pieces. You know, to me, that's where it's all going. Right. And that's where I was going to ask you a question is, so rather than sort of say, well, it's a big deal that 33% of field sales reps are going to go away. How about 80% of SDRs? There's a lot of, of roles that will change, but the artificial intelligence is the next wave. It's as big as the internet, as big as the incandescent light, as big as antibiotics. People forget that in the old West, you know, this in the gold rush, if you got an ear infection, you'd probably die. Like it's, it's only <laughs> recently that we have some of these basic uh, innovations, but what happens is it creates jobs. So what I've actually encouraged all sellers to do is to study things like data science, mm-hmm. um, you know, get if they're if they have technical aptitude, if they're good with numbers, you know, quantitative analysis or sort of the quant thing. If they're just good with tech systems, a lot of salespeople I know that aren't that technical are now RevOps leaders because they're just, I don't know, facile with the tech. They're good with it. Um, there's a lot of other things like game theory and persuasion and psychology neuroscience, there's things you can study like pop sci type stuff that inculcates you with this sophisticated approach. But as far as like the, you know, they're working 16 hours a day type repetitive tasking, that's, 
it's just not going to be there. So the roles will change. I think mm-hmm. there'll be. I think there will be more people working in tech because software is eating the world. The 1999 Andreessen prediction: we have trucking SaaS and logistics SaaS and healthcare SaaS. None of that was a SaaS, and with all the SaaS, we need humans to analyze it and do the RevOps. So I actually think SDR will nest up into revenue operations. We'll have data operations, marketing operations, and sales operations, and we'll just have a sophisticated analyst org sort of like minority report that's all dialing in the algorithms and helping mm-hmm. train the machines okay <laughs> i i i agree and the thing and 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 the thing for sellers is they need to become good orchestrators of technology regardless of what their role is right so you know if, if you're an ae yeah. the fundamental things of of um of salesforce of ring dna of of LinkedIn Sales Navigator, uh, of using sales intelligence tools, you know, whether it's Zoom or Lucia or Trigger, mm-hmm. you know, these tools that give you phone numbers and mm-hmm. your ability to, to actually build a basic sequence, you know, that you can get running, you know, in that sales automation stack. Yep. So you can then get on the phone at the right time um, using a platform to find a level of buyer intent before they're out comparing you with competition. So, you know, you can get in early and set the agenda. But it's using tech to do that well that will set the winners apart from the people that just fade away. Yeah, and I, I agree, I'm 100%. I think that, you know, I'd sort of frame it as that there's been sort of a generation or two in sales, you know, specifically in software, where they've had so much of that handed to them. And yeah. they've lost the muscle. And to your point is, yeah, if we automate a lot of that up front and get to a point where the sellers engage initially at a point where it's actually selling as opposed to lead gen, which I'll I call marketing. Um, then yeah, it's, yeah, they need to be able to get themselves to that point, to the point you made earlier, Tony is, is you can't just wait for somebody to hand something to you. And what, what's happened is we have too many sellers that sit around waiting for leads to happen to them when they should be out generating them. Yeah, the thing, and, and, and the thing that Justin and I have talked about a lot on the side is because um, we work with a lot of people and try and help them, mm-hmm. in the absence of being the one that's consistently bringing in the revenue and hitting your number, in the absence of that, right. you need to be the one that's self-generating consistent quality pipeline for the organization. That's, <laughs> that's what makes you safe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wrote about this in my second book. It's like yeah, you, you, did. you prospect because you have to, right? Unless yeah. you're getting served on a platter, you know, premium quality leads, what are you going to do? You got to go out and prospect. I mean, it's, it's, I said, I worry that we've, you know, trained a generation of sellers that this is going to be handed to them. And I think you're right. I mean, I think the future is more about um, full cycle responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a, a brave new world. I mean, I, I, um, I always dreamed of maybe writing a, a sequel to Predictable Revenue, and there's been a lot of predictable type books with a similar theme um, or something that seems the logical flow, but it's got a bit of a, bu- a Bucky Fuller of a different model. Um, what came to our attention, and I think it was in Psychology Today, there's a concept of TQ, Technology Quotient, or DQ, or uh, AQ, Adaptability, or Digital Quotient. It's just this idea of the fusion. Which a lot of use. Yeah, of human and machine, but there's... 
there's a certain adeptness that's, you know, in every era. And I have people like read the manuscript of the book and come back and say, Hey, this, these principles would have worked for me at Oracle and big hardware 10 years ago, or I actually was cluing in on this, Uh this idea. I mean, I used to use Photoshop and pro tools, very advanced musical recording systems and advanced um, uh, graphic design systems. And uh, same thing, all based on analog elements. They're digitized now in this virtual reality. So, um, there's no way to write a book that's future-proof. In fact, I'm a huge fan of books like Hacking Sales by Max Altschuler or Predictable Revenue or The Machine. And the risk when we wrote this is, well, we're going to name all these vendors and there's going to be M&A and they're all going to be gone. And so we thought, <laughs> what, is the, what is the meta skill, learning how to learn? What is it you can take uh-huh. from this book that no matter what platform you get put in front of you, this would be the way to, okay, they have a university, they have a training program on there, uh, are there drills you can do, are there you know clubs or Slack channels you get involved with to sort of hack at it. And so it's full of, no matter what you're faced with as far as your stack, here's how you can become the best at it. And I think that'll be timeless. And we'll have to revise the thing, you know, eight times like David Meerman Scott or something, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad example to use. Yeah, I think the thing with, with the AQ is, is actually, something worth emphasizing, right? Because, you know, people misread Darwin all the time. And they think he talked about survival of the fittest. Where actually what he talked about was survival of the most adaptable. And yeah, that was the true. key That was the key thing. It was adaptability. It was not fitness. And, yeah, I think that's the challenge for salespeople today. Looking forward, you know, if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're thinking, okay, what's my career going to be over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years? It's the ability to be adaptable. And, I mean, Tony, you've had to be adaptable in your career, not calling you out as an old person. But, yeah, um, yeah I'm probably older than you are. And, yeah, I mean, I, I tell people, when I got started selling, the innovation was FedEx. <laughs> I mean, it was FedEx wow. was, was founded the year before I started selling. I mean, it's like we didn't have email. Yeah, I tell people that's... You know, for years I was doing international sales. I was I would troll into big organizations like Deutsche Telekom and British Telecom and others on the phone. There's no wow. internet, had no dictionary directory, just calling in, trying to find people, working the organization. So yeah. I was at the tail end of that. I I always encourage people to go read like what I call dusty books, you know, and to go check out the stuff because there's all these amazing systems and all these incredible writers, uh, mm. selling writers over the years. And, you know, with me being the sales cyborg and, you know, I love what Todd Capone is doing. It's actually totally uh, a coincidence, but Todd was my trainer at Salesforce back at Exact mm. Target Marketing Cloud in uh, Indianapolis almost 10 years ago today. Mm. And he's been a sales historian. He's been going in because the first concept I had for, for the book was 1910, which was basically the human brain. This version is like 40,000 years old. It's the exact same, same one. So nothing's really changed on a psychological level and nothing really will the next 10,000 years. It's the mechanism of delivery of the same response patterns, right? The social networks have figured out the dopamine hits and the serotonin and the brain hacking, right. as it were. But humans still buy emotionally to justify with logic. They still respond uh, to the exact same thing. So check out Todd Capone's work. Um, 
I'm sure you've interviewed him. I hope so. He's he's been on the show. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> and we're sorry we didn't interview for you for the book, Andy. For the revision, we will. Uh, we, we you can't hit everybody. Right. There's six thousand of the uh, you know thought leaders in our space, and that was the other thing. I was yeah. like, well, God See, forbid, I'm the next one. I got to do RevOps. You just count on those other podcasters not actually reading your books. That's the difference on this show. I actually read all the books. I apologize. Write them, so <laughs> you're At always least- gonna be, you're always gonna be found out. At least we got ring DNA in the book. You did, yes. We yes, did. I was talking yeah. to Howard Brown, our CEO, last night, and yes, said I was going to be talking to you, and he says, I think we're going to be in the book. I said, oh, yeah, you're in the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're in the essential stack. And, uh, you know, I, and yeah. I did I did that to uh, list the, the technology I thought. I uh, Nobody prompted me to do it. If anything, Steve Richard, I uh, had a great conversation with him. I was like, well, it was a case study in Combo. He's like, you need your own book. And then this crazy thing happens. I, I found, I was like, well, is there a single book? I'm doing a lot of sequences for people. Right. Is there a book on a major publisher that has a sequence in it? And there isn't. Yeah. This is the first time yeah. that a whole sequence has been published. And that'll be silly in a year from now. There'll be 20 books with sequences. There'll be manuals. But we're first. All right. And it's uh, coming out in three days at an Amazon near you. Well, by the time this plays, it'll be out already. So oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bezos so, will not read and, it. And Andy, and, and Andy, maybe just to finish up... Um, in, in the book, we talk about the the essential tech stack, you know, and then yes. the advanced, and uh, and and ring DNA is is right there in the essential tech stack, right? So, so uh, sales engagement platforms as well as CRM, you know, mm-hmm. are, are absolutely essential technology today. Um, you yeah. know, something that everybody has to have. So, we really hope people enjoy the book. Um, if if people want to test their sales TQ level, Justin's actually done a sales TQ test on the salesborgs.ai site, and it's all free. <laughs> so if anyone thinks that they've got good sales TQ, they can go and test themselves at salesborgs.ai. It sounds like a good idea. All right, well, guys, yes. thank you very much. Thanks, um, Tony, thank you for spending part of your Saturday with us. Pleasure, Andy. Nice thank, thanks for having me on. Yeah, Justin, as always, great to see you. And uh, yeah, we'll come back and talk about the book again at some point in the future. Awesome, thanks for your time. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Tony Hughes and Justin Michael, for sharing their insights about the future of sales with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.